0: Hello and welcome to Capital Ideas. My guest today is a man responsible for bringing you your daily tipple. As the CEO of Diageo India, the Indian arm of the British beverage alcohol company Diageo, Anand Kripalu is responsible for the spirit and beer manufacturers India play. The company manufactures, sells and distributes a portfolio of brands such as Johnny Walker, Black and White, Signature, Royal Challenge, Smirnoff and Captain Morgan among many others. Anand joined Daigio India in May 2014, before which he spent over three decades selling everything from cosmetics to chocolates. Anand was with Unilever for uh, two decades when he left as the managing director for its East Africa operations. He was also the president of Cadbury Kraft Mondelez, India and South Asia and the managing director of Cadbury India Limited. In September, he took over as the chairman of Royal Challengers Bangalore, a team that hasn't had quite had much success in the ongoing uh, Indian Premier League despite being favourites a few times. Welcome to Capital Ideas, Mr.
1: kripal Thank you, Manu. Thank you for uh, inviting me and having me over.
0: So, let me begin by asking you, uh, what do you reckon are RCB's chances
1: uh, this year in the IPL? Well, you know, fingers crossed. I think, um, uh, who knows. I think we had a better start this season uh, compared to past seasons. Um, but, you know, this game is such that on the day, anyone can win and anyone can lose. Right? Right. It's that kind of game. Uh, I think we certainly have the firepower in the team. I think it's a reasonably balanced team. As we have shown in some of the games when we have won even in crunch situations. Right. right. We would uh, historically not often win in crunch situations. Right, uh, Here we have. Uh, we've improved some of the departments that we felt were um uh, a bit weak in the past yeah right so you know fingers crossed because um, it is uh, partly about skill and partly the role of the dice okay <laughs> so uh, so uh, time will tell right but right. the team is up for it the
0: but but is rcb is an important part of the uh, of the india operations for daisyo right and as a business leader with 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 you know i mean uh, a boardroom perspective Uh, You must have done your assessment on what has happened with the team and what, you know, where they've gone wrong. Some assessment on that.
1: No, yes, Uh, of course we've done a lot of assessment, and based on that assessment, uh, Manu, we have made significant changes this year. Right, we have a completely new support team. Right. uh, Introduced the role of director of cricketing operations. We have a new coach, and we have made certain specific player acquisitions, as well to fill the gaps hmm. that we saw. Right, And um, like I said, it's partly about skill and partly skill of the individual players. But even more, it's about how you bring about in a short time period, a culture in the team that makes the whole more than the sum of the parts. Right. Right, more than just the individual players themselves, and that's the big role for the support staff and the and the coaches. About how do you create that team culture in a short period, where um, the team is bigger than any individual, right? And sometimes it's more challenging when you have very big stars in your team, right? So that has been the endeavor, um, and you know we've made a lot of changes and. Uh, Time will tell. Also, you see, all these changes don't always um, create impact immediately. They take Mm -hmm. a year or two or three uh, to build, right? Given that the team only comes together for a couple of months and then they go into different teams and different parts of the world. You don't have them with you all the time uh, to build that unity and team spirit. So, um, but it's a very, very uh, fascinating Part of our business. Right. You started off saying Uh, it's a skill that many of us have not grown up learning. Absolutely. We've learned how to manage brands and manage employees. Sometimes, here you have to uh, manage sport and manage celebrities who are bigger than you will ever be. <laughs> All right, that's and that's good. I think a very very different skill altogether, but it's a fascinating part of the business and a very profitable part of the business by the way okay, so uh, performance notwithstanding it's a highly profitable part
0: hmm,
1: hmm, hmm. of our business it's a hundred percent owned subsidiary right of the business and um, and we're very proud of uh, owning this team
0: and and would it be is it is it uh, an Is it very difficult, you know, uh, bringing in a culture when, like you said, you know, when the team actually comes for a very, very short period of time, I mean, for two months, uh, what, what really goes into, you know, developing that culture or imbibing that in, in,
1: in really short time? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's the, this is where the skill of the coaches comes together about how do you build personal chemistry with the team, right? How do you get somebody like a Virat Kohli to also connect with and own some of the youngest players? Right. Like Devat Palikal, who has come onto the scene this time and form well. really well. Okay. Right. Performed really well. He's a Bangalore boy. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, he's been put to open the innings. Right. right? A, a bold move by the team management. And that's not me because I don't decide who will play, what the order will be. You need creating really experts to do that. So I think right. the important thing of team ownership is you have to understand, you know, you know, it's like the chairman of a listed company. You have to understand your role is governance and appointing the management right. and then leaving the management to manage right. and run the business on a day-to-day basis. It's a bit like here. My role is yes to yes Put the whole stuff together, manage the marketing and the commercial side, appoint the right people, use them to decide who are the right players to buy, and then leave them to decide how they will play on the field and who will play on the field. Right. Right. Otherwise, you will end up meddling. And in India, you know, everyone has a view of cricket with hindsight. So, everybody will come back after Virat Kohli gets out. Hey, what? He shouldn't have hit a shot like that. Right. Now, he's Virat Kohli. You can't tell him how to bat. Right. (laughs) But with hindsight, we all have a view. Right. Uh, Not that we would have done much better if we had to hold the bat and go into the (laughs) arena. True. So, it's an interesting, uh, it's a very interesting facet. And I think it's taught me a few different things. Okay. Just management of the business, which is management of celebrities, and understanding where to step back, right? Um, and using your wisdom to appoint the right people
0: hmm. Hmm.
1: to run the cricket team for you on a day-to-day basis.
0: Understood, sir.
1: And but were you were
0: you always a person who was inclined towards sports, or were you more the studious kind growing up?
1: Well, I think I had a, I think I had a balance. Okay. Um, I don't think I excelled in sport. Um, but I uh, played a fair amount. Okay. Right? Whether it was a bit of hockey or a bit of football, a lot of table tennis, uh, swimming. Um, so, squash later in life, really right. dialing with golf. So, I've done my uh, bit of sport. But like all Indians, I think um, the game we follow more than other games is cricket. Absolutely therefore, the passion for cricket is uh, a lot more, I would say. The understanding of the game is not like an expert, but is right. a bit more. And therefore, this is a, a wonderful opportunity to convert that passion hmm. into a bit of a profession. Absolutely.
0: Now, um, let me just go back to the beginning um, You know about where you grew up and uh, you yeah. know, when, when you went to college. I know you went to IAT, Madras. Uh, yeah. But before that, uh, I saw a bit where you studied in Lucknow, but uh, it doesn't yeah. sound like you know you, you are from Uttar Pradesh.
1: I'm a South Indian. Actually, Bangalore is my hometown. So, if there's right. any hometown, um, it's Bangalore. I speak Tamil at home right. uh, with my parents and relatives. Um, but I can reasonably understand and speak Kannada as well. Okay, uh, But I've never lived in South India. Okay. And why was that? Too? Born in Delhi. My dad is an army guy. Okay. <laughs> he's 94 and a half. Uh, he's an army man and he was posted from Delhi to Udhampur to Srinagar to Guwahati to London. Um, he faced the Chinese in Siliguri in the Chinese attack in 1962, faced the Pakistanis in 1971 when he was in the Western sector in Udhampur. So he used to get transferred like that. and. Right. Um, uh, you know, I did bit of my started my schooling in London actually because he was posted there. Then came back to Delhi, did schooling. Right. And then when he got transferred to Udhampur, I think realized that my Delhi school didn't have boarding. Right. And I had an uncle of mine in the railways who lived in Lucknow and worked there. Right. So they said, listen, uh, my uncle and grandmother were living there, and they said, okay, let's send him to Lucknow.
0: Okay, and, so and that's where Martini- I
1: went, and that's where I finished my school from.
0: And that was Lamartine uh, in Lucknow.
1: That was Lamartine, Lucknow yeah
0: but but you didn't you, you weren't inclined to moving to the armed forces
1: life?: Well, actually, interestingly, my dad didn't want my brother and I to join the armed forces. Okay, And uh, my mother was a big influence, okay uh, in what we did. and she was hell-bent that one son will become an engineer and the other one will become a doctor. Okay. <laughs> and that's what happened. Okay. <laughs> then she was hell bent after finished engineering that I must go and do MBA at IAM. That's okay. what happened. <laughs> All right. So, um, so that's uh, that's how it just evolved.
0: Right. And so you went to IIT Madras and you went to the IAMs and then
1: straight away joined uh, Unilever. Yeah, I actually joined Ponds. Okay. Originally, I did my summer training in Hindustan Lever. I was in the final interview panel for Hindustan Lever. Uh, and then because of a quirk of fate in placement, you can only reject so many job offers that you've got right. and Ponds made an offer and I was yet to go for the final interview of Levers. and if I rejected Ponds and I didn't get the Levers final job, then uh, I'd be stuck without anything. Okay. Right? Now having said that, Ponds was the number one rated job on campus at that time.
0: Okay, okay.
1: Right? Um, I was the first person ever hired in sales and marketing. For pawns from IIM Calcutta, they only went to IIM Ahmedabad, and they pretty much every year got the gold medalist from IIM Ahmedabad. <laughs> Interestingly, so I know, one. here
0: uh, one of the other person who had come on on uh, on capital ideas was Mr. Tiger yeah. Tiagarajan, and ah, uh, so Tiger, you is, is junior. He started with Ponds too. He he started with Ponds too. So he was, you know, he was telling me the other day about all that journey with with Ponds, you know, for a very long time. Then he, before ponds,
1: he just, Yeah, we used to call him Nvt because he's Nvtiyagaran, and then over right. time G he, became right. a Tiger <laughs> Tiyagaran. Um, <laughs> right. But I still remember him from the Ponds time when he joined again from I'm Ahmedabad. Right. So yeah, so I joined uh, Ponds, and um, and then a couple of years after that, um, so I, you know. I tell people often that I am um, uh, Calcutta was a life changing experience because okay. I, uh, I uh, discovered two things there. I discovered uh, the wonderful world of brands. Right. And I said, that's where I want to spend my life. And I also discovered my wife. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have batchmates from I am Calcutta, and she's been a consumer marketeer through her entire life as well. Right, right. right. Uh, and uh, therefore, both of us are really consumer goods people. Right. So, when I spent the first couple of years in Chennai and then I wanted to get married. She was with Nestle in Delhi. And then okay. I moved to Ponds, was gracious enough. Uh, right. and, uh, like, you followed your wife, so did I. And I uh, <laughs> moved to <laughs> Delhi. I yeah. got married. I worked there with Ponds. Before Ponds was bought out by Unilever. Right. That's how I came to Unilever. Okay. And
0: you spent about 22 years at uh, Unilever. An incredibly long time.
1: It was a fascinating time, I must tell you. Um, and, you know, so one of the things I'd like to believe is that um, I grew up in a very happy but a very middle-class family.
0: Hmm, hmm.
1: An honest government family. Right. Always struggled to make ends meet. Okay. There was never enough money after the 20th of the month in the house to buy anything. Okay. And these middle-class values have stood by me Hmm, hmm. and guide me even today in how I decide to spend even the company's money. Right. Okay? I often tell people that your style of spending is not dictated by how much you have in the bank. Right. It's dictated by your mindset. Right. Okay. And Hindustan Lever was a middle class company. Hmm. In the way it approached things, in the sense of being understated, bit of frugality, you wouldn't waste, right? I still tell people that I still keep my shampoo bottle upside down to make sure that every drop comes out. Right? <laughs> I won't throw it to the dustbin before every drop comes out and you'll squeeze your toothpaste tube to <laughs> the absolute end, right? And Hindustan That's... Lever was a bit like that, you know, a bit of frugality and a bit of um, not wanting to waste. Right. right? And uh, But the great thing about Hindustan Lever was that, uh, and as a fabulous institution, you worked with some of the Best people that you would ever work with. Right. And they took you as good quality raw material, but polished you right into uh, a manager and a leader by giving you great responsibility and great exposure. Absolutely. I think every two years almost, I change jobs okay. in uh, levers. And therefore, the variety of jobs, both within my comfort zone and jobs that I didn't want to do outside my comfort zone, I think is what. Um, really set the foundation for who i have become absolutely
0: and i must ask you here and because you mentioned the bit about spending uh, and you said it's 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 a function of the mindset uh, you know not everybody perhaps will come from a middle class background these days entrepreneurs you know flush with so much fun, go around spending so how do you inculcate uh, you know these these values into people or can it be taught to people
1: well um you know, I think a lot depends on how you're brought up, right? So both my sons and I have very, very different spending habits. Right. They will go to restaurants that I would still hesitate to go to, even if they're spending my money. <laughs> okay? And this, this is what I mean. So somebody said they've not grown up in a middle-class home. All right. right. Now you have a values clash because you grew up in a middle-class home. They did not. And you continue to spend uh, the way you were brought up and they spend the way they were brought up. They will buy designer clothes and designer shoes and you will not. Right. Absolutely. Now in companies, I believe that a lot has to be done in leading by example. Hmm. And when people see you using only one tissue paper in the toilet rather than using five. Right. Right. Um, going out um, for a meal, not to a five-star hotel, but a normal restaurant. Absolutely. Right? If you want to have a drink, you have a drink in the room rather than go and buy expensive alcohol in a restaurant. Right. If they see you doing things, they find it hard even if they want to to go and do that again Hmm. themselves. True. Even though you're entitled to do it. So there's nothing in the rules that say, I cannot go to a five-star restaurant entertain people and um, uh, uh, order one of our good brands of whiskey absolutely but it's the mindset that plays out and that importantly comes when you're spending money of the company one is on your on, on, on you yourself right when you're traveling or training but also when you're approving a capital proposal true right yeah uh, when you're investing behind brands right it shapes your thinking. Right. And I think that uh, people soon get it right. that this is what, how Anand thinks and these are the choices he makes. And right. uh, we are also expected to be sensible right. with the money that is at our disposal. Absolutely. So I think you can groom them to an extent. I don't know whether you will change their fundamentally being itself. Right. Because that I think is more deeper rooted, Manu. Uh, right yeah and uh, you know with their own money they may go and buy a fancy car right and i think that's fine that's personal choice absolutely and i have no problem with that right because today i mean i have never taken a loan in my life oh okay <laughs> yeah. because i have this thing i have to live within my means absolutely i'll not live on credit i'll not take a housing loan car loan no loan right absolutely. i'll buy when i have that money in the bank Now, you think about it. People say you're mad. You're not leveraging yourself. You're going to get so much money, etc. I said, yeah, but peace of mind. It's just the way I have been brought up. Now, uh, the the other young people who come, they may be frugal in the company, but they will live their lives on credit. True. Right? They will take loans. They'll buy a car based on next two years income, but they'll buy it today. So I think it's just uh, the way you are. Absolutely.
0: I think that's a lesson for people who are listening. You know, the Diageo India head has never taken a loan. So, you know, something to ponder <laughs> uh, But let me, let me move on you know, to the part about when you started working out. Were there you know, moments when you started out? I know you were very clear about you love brands. But were there moments early on in your professional lives when you doubted what you were doing, you know, uncertain about yourself?
1: I don't think I've ever doubted what I was doing. I've had ups and downs in my career. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a real career. It's not a dream career. Okay, it's a real career. So I've had my ups and downs. Um, I've always had self-doubt on whether I was good enough to do the jobs that I was given. Right. All, always. Is, is it is it even now? I always wondered. I, mean. I think now I have grown out of that, but I'm very... I'm ambitious for the business. Right. But for many years now, I've been less ambitious about myself. Right. Okay. I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, I joined Cadbury in 2005. Right. Uh, the business was doing very well between 2005, 2008. 2003, 2004, there was this big infestation crisis of Cadbury where everyone said there are worms coming out of Cadbury chocolate and all that. And then we had some glorious years thereafter. Right. But finished years as managing director for the Indian subcontinent. And Sir John Sunderland, the global chairman of Cadbury, was visiting Mumbai. And he came and sat in my office. And as part of the conversation, he said, so Anand, what would you like to do next? I thought about it for maybe 15, 20 seconds. There was a pause. And I looked at him and said, Sir John, nothing. I just want to continue doing what I'm doing and create a legacy in this job. Right. Taken aback. He must have expected that I'll ask for the moon. Right. Okay. Three months later, they promoted me, made me president of Asia for Cadbury. And I was sitting in Bombay and overseeing mainland China, Southeast Asia, and everything else. Right. Okay. So I would say that things have come to me. You know, I have this belief that you have to deserve before you desire. Right. So things have come to me. Right? Uh, When people have felt that I deserve it, I think. How do
0: you make yourself yourself more deserving of that? I mean, is it a lot of hard work? I mean, what really goes into...
1: um, I work very hard. Right. I believe I'm a person of average intellect who works very hard. Okay. Okay? I'm not a super smart guy. I've never thought I'm a super smart guy. I think I've been surrounded by very, very good and intelligent people very often. Right? Who have helped me... Uh, progress in my career, because ultimately, you're as good as the team that you have. Absolutely. Correct? Yeah. yeah. So, I think um, I have, um, you know, just have this belief that um, you have to play the best hand with the cards you've been dealt. Right. So, every job I've been given, I have tried my best to excel in that job and leave a legacy in that job. Right. However small that job may be. I have to do the job in a way in which I must be remembered after I've left that job. Right. And I believe that your highest probability to get the next job is by excelling in your current job. Right. Rather than looking at the next job all the time. Hmm. So I'm a person who looks less at the next job, but focuses on the current job. Right. And does that to the best of my ability. I think that's,
0: that's, that's what happens with a lot of people. You live in the past or you look at the future, but you forget to live in the present. I mean, and and yeah. focus on that.
1: Yeah. But, but yeah, no, I'm,
0: I'm sure the fear of failure, you know, I mean, that, that's something, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, it, it prompts them, you know, from taking many risks. I'm sure you must have also had those, you know, doubts about whether this is something is going to fail, you know, things like that. Or are you always
1: optimistic about things? So I'm very optimistic. Okay. I'm a glass half full person. Okay. In the most miserable of situations, I will see silver linings. Okay. <laughs> okay. In dark clouds. I will see the light at the end of those long tunnels. Right. Okay. And I believe it's really important as leaders to be optimistic because if, if the captain of your ship thinks the ship is sinking and there's nothing they can do, hmm. how are you going to feel as a passenger on that ship? Absolutely. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, But I tend to live, uh, I'm an uh, optimist by nature. I look at the glass half full, I see opportunities, but I'm never overconfident. Okay. I always have butterflies in my stomach. And because I have those butterflies in my stomach, because I feel that I am not fully confident that I'll be able to do this, I try doubly hard. Okay. (laughs) I try doubly hard to make it happen and make it work and make it succeed. Right. Because I have that little bit of that right level of constructive insecurity right, in whatever I do. I that, never am overconfident. I'm always a little insecure. Absolutely.
0: Is that, is that how you tidied over that, that difficult phase uh, with, with Cadbury's? Because there was a lot of hue and cry back then you know, when
1: that had happened. So first of all, I didn't handle that infestation phase. My okay. predecessor And they handled it really well. Okay. So when I joined, the business had tanked completely, but I think they had dealt with the problem. And the next eight years were probably the best years in Cadbury's history. Right. You had a campaign, 25% I per annum almost, top okay. line and bottom line for eight years. Wow. That's how the business grew. Right? Um, it's difficult
0: I, to do. I mean, especially when you come out of something like that and then to grow that phenomenally. Uh, you must have definitely brought in some changes
1: there. No, I'd like to believe i brought in a lot of change. But the first thing is that, you know, you have to believe that um, consumers, when they love brands, they also will forgive you sometimes. Okay. Not too often. Right. But they will forgive And imagine you're talking about chocolate that goes into your mouth. Right. Goes into your children's mouth. People boycotted the brand like you cannot imagine during that infestation crisis. It collapsed, the business. I mean, who's gonna feed their child uh, a chocolate if there's a risk of a worm or a keeda, as they will say, being inside it, right? True. There's no way. But if you own up to the problem, you make tangible changes, you go honestly to consumers and say, I fixed it, they will forgive you. Right. So I think that's what was done, I accepted that there could be a problem and it needs to be fixed. But then I made changes in how the business was run thereafter. In okay. Calgary. And I really brought in the less is more philosophy. Okay. I think we killed more brands in my first year than we gave birth to. Okay. <laughs> um, I killed some brands because they were too small or they were non-strategic. I, Reduced promotions like crazy. We were giving 20% extra. Mm. One ball free with Vita or something or the other all the time. And I called that brand discounting. Okay. Dropped it. um, Or reduced it drastically. Um, Half the number of SKUs in the company. Half the number of innovation projects we were working on. Because people were busy doing small things. Which would make no difference to the business. Absolutely. And I said, unless the size of the innovation, in terms of ambition and potential, hmm. is enough to move the meter of the meter of the business, then what are we doing? You will achieve your objectives objectives for the year, but the business won't move at all. Right. right? So I killed all the projects that we believed were uh, sub That must have been a tough one of the resources. Sorry. Right. And I was
0: asking that must have been a tough decision to take. And it
1: was do. very tough because um, right. you see, for people, if they're working on a project, it's like their baby. Right. It's personal. Absolutely. Right. And I had to take some very hard calls on this, and there were a lot of fights in the leadership team in my first year right. with people. People were very unhappy with me. There were lots of fights. Hmm. But what I did is I redeployed the money that was released from promotions. Right. And management time that was released from the extra SKUs and innovation and everything else, I redeployed that back onto the core brands of the business. Right. Cadbury Dairy. Right. Five Star. Cadbury Claire's, Von Vita. And the business never looked back, huh,
0: Manu? Absolutely. And, and how was that shift to Diageo? I mean, that coming to, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's a different, you know, the other day I was watching, you know, the show... Um, on Netflix, you know, about, about India's billionaires. And, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, of course, there's reference to Mr. Malia and they talk about the yeah. alcohol industry in general. And, you know, there's a sort of, uh, you know, moral sort of taboo associated with alcohol in India. So, yeah. uh, how do you see that, uh, you know, how, how do you deal with that whole transition from,
1: of course, chocolates to yeah. alcohol? So, it wasn't easy. Okay, now... Having said that, I must say that um, I enjoy my drink. I have no problem drinking. But the funny thing about our industry is there are a lot of people who will talk ill of the industry in the day right. will come home and have a drink in the evening. <laughs> right. It is fashionable to say bad things about the alcohol industry. And like I said, I think sometimes you you get what you deserve. Right. So at the time when I was making this transition, I got cold feet in the beginning saying right. well, I want to join the alcohol industry. It's a tainted industry, right? Uh, people say alcohol, even though it's a consumer, they, they don't say you're working in the toothpaste industry or you're working in the detergent industry right. or in the shampoo industry. But this is alcohol industry. <laughs> OK, right. and, um, and I got cold feet saying, listen, will I get tainted? I said, I've never had to do wrong business practices in my life. Right. I'm not going to go and start doing that now. But then there was Diageo. Right. Diageo had completed the acquisition, change of control in July 4th, 2013. Right. Diageo had been awarded Britain's most admired company ahead of many of the British icons. Right. So it's possible for an alcohol business to be highly reputed, to be admired by everyone else. It doesn't have to be looked down on. Absolutely. And I said Diageo will make sure that I have never asked to do anything wrong. And Diageo can be the leading light of what we can do to change the narrative of the alcohol industry in India. And I said, you know what? This could be my legacy. Absolutely that I will leave behind an industry whose narrative is significantly different from the one I was walking into. Right. And it's with that, Manu, that I took the plunge. Right. Okay. It has been harder than I thought. Right. It's not been easy. We had to deal with a host of legacy issues, um, which were to do with the company, and a host of reputational issues that were to do with the industry at large right i believe we have made a meaningful change in how business can be done and is done in this industry today right business is done very differently in this industry today i think that, to.
0: that, that must be the reason you you're seeing now a, a a rapid increase in homegrown brands you know coming through also uh, definitely i mean competition for you but i'm sure uh,
1: you know it's it's a welcome move oh, yeah. It is See, earlier, the barriers to entry were just so high that nobody could come into this industry. A, the regulatory uh, framework is a web. It is so complex. And it is state-based. So for all the benefits of GST that are benefiting companies across the nation, we are still state-based. And we have to pay import-export penal fees to move stock between state borders in India. Right. So you can't get the benefits of the GST kind of scale, right? Right. We're still a state based model. Okay. So, so it is a a web and then it was hard to do business, hard to get licenses, hard to get approvals. I don't think it's still easy. Okay. But it has become more possible for people to come in, right. And wet their feet, uh, in this industry, as you see now, some of the smaller brands are beginning to do. Most right. of them come out of Goa because that is the most friendly state in terms of right. regulation. Right. And it's interesting that most of them come out of Goa. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, because it is very complex in other states still. Right. Listen, this story has not finished. This right. journey, I mean, this change is a journey, right? Absolutely. We haven't reached the destination. <laughs> we are still on the train. Right, but, but, but I really believe we have left the we have left the departure station, the okay. departing station. We haven't arrived at the arrival station.
0: And how how long or what does it take
1: to get to that you know the arrival part? I mean, the the reputational narrative part, right. I think, will take very long. It's very deep rooted in India, hmm. and sadly, you see, as manufacturers of AlcoBev, a you have to be committed to ethical marketing of alcohol. Absolutely. But B, you have to also accept that there is a dark side to alcohol. Right. Alcohol does give problems. It does create social unrest. It does affect homes and livelihoods of people. Right. But what has been proven the world over is that the only solution is educating people hmm. about responsible consumption of alcohol. Right. You know, we spend three to four times of the CSR the, the statutory amount that we are supposed to spend, right? We spend right. as a company. And a lot of it goes in saying, don't drink and drive, for instance. Right. Right. And we've been running a don't drink and drive campaign for a long time. Okay. Right. Why do we do this? Because that is how we will educate people to drink and do the right thing, to drink responsibly, to use alcohol, not abuse alcohol. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, enjoy. Right. We all know that for those who choose to drink a bit of alcohol adds a lot of literally spirit to an occasion, whether it's a wedding or a celebration or a party, right? Absolutely. Um, It does. For those who choose to drink, right? Now, some people have a great time without drinking and that's fine too. Right. But if you can keep it in that positive zone, then it's wonderful. Absolutely. And then people abuse alcohol. Right. Like anything else, if you abuse sugar, it'll hurt you. True. Okay? Right? A lot of people say sugar is the new poison, huh? True. Right? Absolutely. So anything within limits, you can enjoy your life. And we believe that responsible consumption of alcohol can be part of an overall healthy and active lifestyle. Absolutely. Okay? And we really believe that. But for that, we have to be ethical marketeers of alcohol.
0: Right. But how how you know how do you do that I mean say for instance for governments anywhere uh, it is a big source of revenue alcohol the alcohol industry but at the same time when elections happen you know some somebody or the other even parties in power will say that you know look we look at prohibition and certain states have done that uh, that puts you in a very dicey sort of situation also how do you deal with that I mean it must be a very complex
1: well, it is a very complex thing because um, very often decisions could be based on votes rather than being based on economics. Right. Okay. And right. things like that happen um, in the real world. And we have seen decisions like that happening. Okay. Right. Um, now, I mean, there's enough data to show that it doesn't stop the consumption of alcohol. Really. Right. And it just pushes it underground hmm. and make it, makes it illegal. Right. The greatest examples of prohibition are from the U.S. in right. the 30s. Okay, where the rich, richest people were those who were bootlegging alcohol into the right. U.S. and <laughs> right? all the money. So I think, and therefore it does become hard, and therefore a lot of work by the industry on how you shape thinking. Right. right? How do you create the balance between economics and social health? Right. And the governments need both. Right. But as long as there is irresponsible consumption of alcohol, you know, so state governments very often will give, provide cheap alcohol called country liquor. Right. right, At low rates of taxation. And actually it's that country liquor that creates a lot of the negative image because then people who are challenged economically start consuming those kinds of products. Right. And then they don't consume responsibly. And that creates social problems, right. economic problems, right? And then you hear negative narratives that then damage the larger reputation of the industry. Right. Correct? Absolutely. So so governments now, the four southern states, for instance, banned country liquor decades ago. Right. And said, you have to drink drink quality brands. And I think that's a move that governments can take where you can have the economic benefits too and start trying to contain the negative side of alcohol. Mm. And I would expect governments who want the economic benefits, which is very significant. And in today's GST regime, it is one of the biggest uh, source of revenue that the state controls, right, Manu? Right. Absolutely. Right, revenue I mean, alcohol. But then I would expect the state governments also to spend on education for responsible consumption of alcohol help partner the industry to change the narrative because listen we as a company pay more than 20000 crores of taxes a year wow as a company i am saying this is diageo india united spirits limited states make serious revenue from Alcobev, right through spirits through beer through wine through country liquor and so on and so forth using a fraction of that to ensure that the industry remains healthy, the narrative of the category remains at least neutral, if not positive. Right. That they can sustain the economic stream as well. Absolutely. Right. And I think there's a real opportunity and a recognition that prohibition doesn't work. Right. Because at the end of the day, you know, making, fermenting grain or fermenting something and making alcohol can be done in your backyard
0: but but has the, has the industry come back to normal now after you know that two, two months of complete
1: lockdown so i would not say fully back to normal See, the reality is that uh, about a quarter of our industry is the on trade right you know, bars restaurants hotels where people consume there on on the uh, uh, on the premises of those establishments right uh, 75% is where you go and buy a bottle and take it home right The off-trade has come back fully. Okay. The on-trade now has started opening. And there have been some positive moves recently. I saw the Delhi chief minister making some positive moves about, you know, allowing bars and restaurants to stay open till late at night. Right. Um, And uh, I think everywhere bars are beginning to open. Right. Traffic, footfalls are still a little low. But they're picking up. Uh, and we are doing a lot, by the way, as an industry, as a company, okay, to help some of these bars and restaurants get back on their feet, right, right, provide a safe environment so that consumers can come back. So I think we've got to give it a few more months, but I'm hopeful that as we enter the festive season and winter, right, yeah, that more and more bars will open and people will get a bit more comfortable. You know, initially you'll take baby steps to going out. right? And then slowly, and slowly you'll build confidence. And I hope people take the basic precautions of social distancing and wearing a mask and stuff like that. But slowly you build more comfort and confidence that it's okay to go out and you'll be safe. Absolutely. And I'm hoping that with the onset of the festive season and winter, that um, I don't know whether we'll get back to normal or not. That's hard to say. But I think it will improve significantly as far as the on-trade is
0: concerned. Right, but you know, COVID has brought a, brought about a lot of disruptions and across different industries. What do you think will will happen to the you know the alcohol uh, industry? Uh, there was talk about you know home delivery of alcohol in between. Do uh, so you think the whole consumption pattern will change
1: or the way we consume will change? So um, I think something will change. How permanent it is, I'm not sure. Right. Now, obviously, we had the biggest disruption of 46 days of prohibition in India, effectively, when the lockdown happened. Right? Right. Because alcohol was not included in the essential items. Right. Uh, I think alcohol tends to be somewhere in the middle. Right. Not essential, not discretionary, probably at the midpoint, right. <laughs> somewhere, right, is what alcohol is. But in our case, the government took a call to stop sale of alcohol. Many countries in the world, they continue to allow the sale of alcohol. Right. Okay, so obviously we had a complete lockdown of our factories and everything else, and that was a big disruption for the business. And uh, through the end of March, April, and the early part of May, right, uh, that actually happened. But I think the 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 longer benefits that we have to see and how they play out, depending on how long this pandemic will stay, right, at least till a vaccine is found, is our categories at at the is at the center of socializing. Right. So if you're in a personal care category or hygiene category, you're buying and using the product on your own, that's fine. Our category gets consumed more often than not when you are at the center of socializing. Right. Like four friends together. When there's a wedding happening and you know, a big fat Indian wedding with uh, lots of consumption, right? Or a company that's achieved its target or a team that is celebrating in a bank. Now suddenly, that has changed for the moment, right at least okay, and that's a fundamental change <laughs> right of how our category shows up and where our category shows up. so those occasions now are gone, right now, people are compensating it with different kinds of occasions, either drinking at home with, in, within the family or very close friends or close relatives right and 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 doing that kind of stuff I mean, in my view. The one thing that I feel is alcohol as a category has been resilient everywhere in the world across decades. Right. The category has high stickiness with consumers. And I'd like to believe that it will come back. Okay. Right. And that right, there'll be more of if on-premise is not there, there'll be home premise where people start making cocktails and fancy drinks at home and say, let me experiment like. You know, a lot of people have been experimenting with cuisines and food during the lockdowns. Absolutely. Because, yeah, they can't go out to eat. Right. Right. So let's experiment and create some excitement in the home. I think so too for alcohol. Right. Earlier you would go out and have a nice cocktail. Say, now let me make it at home and soon you'll discover that it costs a fraction of going and having it outside. (laughs) Right. If you have it. Okay. Right. So I think people will find, I mean, I mean, humans will find ways to socialize, to entertain themselves and to feel good. Right. And what is life without a bit of indulgence, Right. You cannot be Absolutely. so clinical in your existence, so sanitized in your existence. It can get boring. You need a bit of spice. Everybody sure. needs some release of some kind. Right? And I believe we are a category that will then cater to certain different things. right? We've also seen a shift, uh, a bit of shift from beer to spirits. right? Spirit. beer is bulky it's tough to carry home the on trade is where beer is consumed the on trades have been shut. so there's been some shift uh, towards spirits and to your point home delivery which has been announced in 6 7 states still very small right? Right. i hope it becomes national in all states because it enables three four things it enables obviously online ordering and home delivery right home delivery means you don't need to go to the store. Therefore social distancing is taken care of. You can make online payments and therefore you don't need to physically exchange cash. You can have people like women who are uncomfortable going to a liquor store in India for all the known reasons, sitting and browsing on their screen and choosing what they would like to consume and ordering that and knowing that you can do that in the safety of your home and that will get delivered home. And data and e-commerce gives you the the biggest control of who's buying, what's their profile, what's their age, are they underage, right? And how much are they consuming? Absolutely. It gives you data that you do not have. So actually for the regulators, it actually gives you a far better grip on the industry and what's happening from the point of view of governance of the industry. So I think there are lots of uh, benefits, man in terms of um, what home delivery can give, but it's not easy because you have licensed retailers who have paid big license fees to keep their stores open. And therefore our belief is that uh, doing an Amazon where you bypass the retailer will not work in Alcobev. Hmm. The retailer of alcohol has to be part of the solution, Right. right? You have to empower him or her, to be part of the whole e-commerce home delivery solution and right. platform. And that's what's happening actually in the few states where uh, currently it's going, but it's still small and it still needs to be nurtured for it to uh, become a key contributor Absolutely. to our sales and to get revenues.
0: But will we see, uh, you know, things like Bloody Mary being bottled, you know, and being sold or Cosmopolitan, you
1: know, things like that, then just raw spirit? um well you know in the us you can order a cocktail and they'll deliver it home to you
0: right <laughs> okay.
1: now um we haven't started doing that though some bars have tried a few things but you know there's there's a regulatory web around it in many many uh, places in india which makes it complicated right so i think we're doing the next best thing our brand ambassadors who are really these um uh, expert mixologists who create right. magic with some of our Uh, outstanding brands, right? By adding all kinds of ingredients, right? People can create magic with spirits and ingredients. They are doing a lot of online education of what you can do at home with ingredients that very often Hmm. you will have at home. Right. right? And teach you how to do some of this stuff. So whether we will bottle a ready-made RTD or ready-to-drink kind of uh, cocktail or not, I don't know. But the next best thing is DIY. Do it yourself. <laughs> and, we'll teach you, and we'll teach you how. <laughs> <laughs> so, on that note, uh, I would
0: like to express uh, a sincere gratitude for joining us. So, we wish you the best with Diageo and uh, in staying safe uh, during this, these turbulent times. Thank you Mr. Kribalu for joining us.